Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 570, with Sharon Watkins. Oh, I've had so many people have confidence in me, I think, because I'm willing to ask, but what must get communicated, and I say this with a lot of humility, is that I'm going to really take those lessons or that information to heart and do something with it. So that there's a trust that gets established and people want to help you. They want to talk to you. They want to refer you to someone. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Introducing Ethics Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicssuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurantsunstoppable. Cash flow is something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing. And worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future. Until now, welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cash flow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month. Go to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Sharon Watkins. Sharon, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am unstoppable after 30 years, you, Eric. I feel like you're not only unstoppable, but you're accelerating. I feel like you guys are picking up momentum from what I've gathered from you in this, the tour, our, our short conversation before hitting record. I'm really excited for this conversation. Well, it's, it's, the, it's the season, and it's nice because there's so much energy in this restaurant at this time of year and this year in particular and uh, in this town. It's just a lucky place to have landed. I, I cannot wait to dive into your story. I know you're going to crush it, but let's le- just give the listeners an idea of who we're talking about right now. Uh, in 1988, Sharon Watkins closed her Austin ad agency and purchased a defunct little dive. Shay Fred, did I say it right? Shay Fred. Shay Fred, thank you. Her vision was to combine the uh, delectable delight of an old world bakery with the convivial cuisine of, a, um, of an American style bistro. She kept the old restaurant sign bought a vowel and a Z, and in 1989, the newly christened Shea Z, did I say that correctly? Yes. Okay. Opened the, its doors. Uh, the whimsical restaurant has been charming awesome locals and winning awards ever since. And like we were talking about, not only are you continuing to go strong after 30 years, but you're breaking records in a market that's only opening more and more restaurants. Well, there are 5,784, give or take, four. Restaurants in Austin, Texas. How many were there when you opened? (laughs) About 2,500. Wow. And most of them were um, Mexican or barbecue. Tacos weren't even on the radar. Uh, And then for a special occasion, fried shrimp and fried chicken 
were the big cuisines of Austin. And then, of course, there was burgers and and barbecue. You know, there were barbecue joints everywhere, but none of the conversation or discussion. Or you know, a big night out was a steak and a shrimp cocktail. Mm. I cannot wait to dive into your story, but let's get that motivational. I feel like I'm already pretty motivated right now, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with the success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? My um, really saved my life many, many times. All they can do is say no. All they can do is say no. Why does that resonate with you? My, it's my, what my mother taught me. And it means ask. Ask for help. Ask. Knock mm. on the door. Every time I just am afraid of doing something or concerned about something or something that I might not do, less so these days than it used to be, but it, that that got me the loan on this property. All they can do is say no. It's so powerful. I feel like we are our own worst enemies sometimes. We're afraid to speak up. We're afraid to ask for help. We're afraid to admit we don't know the answer to something. But when you throw that out the window and you just ask for help and, or you, you, you ask what something means and you, you throw your, your pride to the side for a little bit to, to, to grow, so much more can happen, right? Oh, I've had so many people have confidence in me, I think, because I'm willing to ask, but what must get communicated, and I say this with a lot of humility, is that I'm going to really take those lessons or that information to heart and do something with it so that there's a trust that gets established and people want to help you. They mm. want to talk to you. They want to... Um, refer you to someone. This town, though, is a wonderful place. It's a very unusual place to live and work because people genuinely are nice, genuinely nice people, and they really are cooperative and helpful. What do you think it is about Austin that makes it that way? I think it's there wasn't a big rich class to start. It was the capital of Texas, the government town, and the the um, university, the big university. I mean, believe me, in Texas, that's a sore subject because, but kind of like the, the I'm trying to think of the word. I can't think of the word. Um, Blue collar town is what's coming to my mind. Very modest. Well, modest, but a lot of people really interested in um, doing things, making things happen, whether it's selling flowers on the street corner or being an artist that does um, shows in Barton Springs or I talk to a lot of people who want to move to Austin and I very often say um, your calling card is what you do if you have money we won't hold it against you but you don't need it to come and get connected in this town I can vouch for that because I've only been here a month and it's like whenever I go anywhere new it's a little slow to get started because you have to get, get out there and meet people, talk to people. But once you start building that momentum, people start connecting you with other people in Austin has been amazing. Uh, people are so willing to open up their networks to me and I can contest that what you're saying is very true. It is a very special city. So that makes it um, comfortable to just be who you are and pursue what you're interested in. But there's also a lot of reciprocity. We all help each other, whether it's a bag of napkins on Saturday night or uh, where am I going to get water? We recently had a um, a boil water edict. Never Mm -hmm. happened in 30 years. And we were all scrambling together to help each other figure out where are we going to get water? Because Starbucks closed 
but most of the little restaurants didn't. So let's go back to where it started for you. You yourself are a woman of the arts, right? That's kind of how you broke into uh, your adult life uh, studying art. Um, was it theater? Theater. I, okay. I, have a, I have a degree in directing, and I my very first, um, I didn't, I mean, I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I thought I was a person who was interested in certain kind of ideas and just went and figured out how to do them. So when I lived in Princeton, New Jersey, my husband went to Princeton University, I founded a children's theater program for the professional repertory company on campus at Princeton because I looked around and I thought, there's nothing for kids to do in this town. I had no background in children's theater, no particularly driving desire, but I just thought, gosh, this town looks like it could use something like that. And it was a big, huge success. There was a big gap and a big need. I mean, I wasn't evaluating it like that, but uh, that was an amazing experience. John Lithgow's father, Arthur, was, do you know John? No, I do not. John is uh, a very pretty well-known actor. Maybe you don't go to the movies as much as I do. No, I should He was more. in the world according to Garp. He was, uh, he's on Broadway all okay. the time. He's written children's books. Anyway, his father was the um, artistic director of the theater there, and he was pretty much like me. And when I said, why not, he said, how about you? And I said, okay. You know, I love that, too, that, that mentality of uh, – you see it all the time. People say something needs to be done here. You know, there's not anything for the, the children to do. Somebody needs to do something about this. And then there, there's the people that say something needs to be done here. I should do something about it. And I think that, that characteristic of that, that kind of person that says there's something wrong and something needs to be different and there's that change they want to see, right, instead of waiting for somebody else to do it. Or let's – yeah, let me let me add to it or how could I do that or – those kind of questions. I think, though, Eric, we come, we're born, we're born with yes or no, or maybe there's some maybes in there, but <laughs> I was always say yes first and then figure it out later. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's my best thing and my worst thing. So, what drew you to the restaurant industry? I mean, is there worth spending some time talking about the ad agency? I mean, how much time are we talking about from Princeton? Uh, so let me just to, give you a little speed yeah. speed run through the bumper sticker. Yeah. The the bumper sticker version. I when I came back because I it, Princeton was just a little too cold for me and I had two by then two small children. And um I was just going to come back and figure out what to what to do. So I I um produced a uh touring show for the University of Texas and I taught in the uh children's theater program and then I the funder of the touring program was the Texas Commission on the Arts. So I went there, and I thought I'd died and gone to heaven because I could give away money to arts groups. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so if you can't be rich, get somebody and help them, you know, use their money well and mm. wisely. Well, working for the government was not exactly my cup of tea because that's what it is. It, they're really not entrepreneurs, no matter, <laughs> yeah. no matter how much I could try to disguise it. So that's how I got in the advertising business. And I think I was successful there because... How'd you get into the advertising business? I kind of missed that jump. Um, my sister was in, worked for an advertising agency and I started doing, when I left the, uh, the Texas Commission on the Arts, I started doing some work with her. Okay. And just kind of, again. So this is before you opened your own agency? 
Yes. Okay, I thought this this you dove straight into to, opening your own I HD. Had to I, lear- like, I had to learn a little, a little bit. something. Just a I was little. Say. I had to learn just a little bit. So let's try to not to date you, but let's try to try to put a a, a, a timestamp on this. When did you get into the ad agency world? Um, in the late. 70s early 80s okay before so, i think you were born okay so you spent about 10 years i was 85 so i was i was uh, around in the middle of it i guess uh so you spent about nine years uh in the ad agency how much time did it take you mm-hmm. to to build your own agency well i mean well, i generally worked freelance for big agencies and then decided it would just be easier to but we never got to talk to the clients and i was really the person who went out and uh, liked that client contact and getting clients. So I had a small boutique agency, and I say that just because it tends to be a way that people identify, meaning I had a really good bank. I had a really good restaurant, I mean, uh, real estate development. I had some food and beverage and hospitality. I had um, some other retail clients, but I didn't have a big agency, but I had um, uh, direct uh, contact with clients and it was great fun and my favorite clients were restaurant clients i was gonna ask is that how you kind of got the bug working with these hospitality that's how i got the okay because one they were really fun they were willing to do things that were not um that were a little off the the beaten path yep uh they loved doing radio I love, 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 love radio. You didn't resist, that's for sure. (laughs) No, I love radio. And so we did a lot of fun radio spots. And um, I, you know, they didn't want to meet at 7 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And usually during or after the meeting, you would eat great food and um, have wonderful, interesting conversations. Mm. So I I just loved people in the restaurant business. I can relate with all of that. Uh, Yeah, so... What did you learn during this 10 years of, I mean, this is a, a big part of what you do today. I'm sure your your ability to market things, uh, I'm sure plays into your role, your success here, right? Anything we can pull from this 10 years of you working with ads, you working with other restaurateurs, where I'm assuming you're probably working with successful restaurateurs too, because they had the extra capital to invest in things like ad agencies. So anything you learn from these these people that you were surrounding yourself the with? The biggest thing I learned is the evolution of a restaurant. Okay. And if you're lucky enough to stay in business, you've got to really pay attention to every stage. And there's beginning, if you can survive the first year, lucky, lucky. I generally didn't get, I mean, there weren't that many restaurants in Austin. I had a lot of clients in uh, Houston, and then I ended up with clients in, um, oh, Perdido Beach, Alabama, and Washington, D.C., and Cincinnati, and places like that. Um, but growing your business from year to year and paying attention to where you are in the cycle and making sure that you're responding appropriately. I watched some clients go out of business because they reached a certain amount of success and then they thought they were done so let's let's slow down here because i think this is some good value in this topic we're in right now what are the the phases or the 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 cycles in the lifespan of a restaurant can you break that down for us to paint the picture uh actually i have i have some notes from <laughs> my but i don't have them in front of me Give but us the, really the aerial st- view. really startup beginning Mm-hmm. 
then you are maintaining some um, security. In other words, you can, so I'd say in the restaurant business, you can pay your bills and, and your payroll and go to sleep at night. There was a moment where that happened for me. I, I've lived through all of these. So I can tell you how it all feels too, and, yeah. when, and when you know you've you've reached that point, because when you can um, pay your bills and pay the payroll, and not worry that someone will cash their check too early on Monday morning or Friday afternoon, that's like one big. So the life cycle so far is the. Um the startup, like the, the, the going, and then you get the, some stability where you can pay your bills. Well, so- the life, first life cycle is getting through the first year. Okay. Just getting through the first year. Just learning how a year goes. And then it's, it's a stability. Yes. Then if you can get to five years, you're a pretty stable, successful restaurant. Then after five years, you're going to maturity. Because in the restaurant business, I mean, in Austin, I can name you a handful of restaurants that have been here for 20 years or more, and they're really not very many. Yep. So we're talking after 10 years, not many, not many restaurants survive. So we got the big picture, the different phases of this life cycle. Uh, you said you, you would witness people at certain phases, certain transitional moments of the cycle, uh, and they would get, what would happen? They would start to... Just kind of think they're... We've reached this uh, point. We've been in business for five years or ten years or however long, and and we're kind of we're kind of done. This is this is good. It'll always be this way. And that's where things go wrong. I am here to tell you, it will not always be this way. So, what happens when you get to that five or ten year mark? What, what, what would you, as somebody who is outside looking in, going back to this time, like what would you advise to them? at that time. I kind of want to get your version of this with your own restaurant, but I want to kind of be like outside of this restaurant and how you're looking at other restaurants. Well, you got, you've got, you got to keep paying attention. I think people lose attention. Mm. Attention to what? Well, just to their business. Uh, Particularly if it's a, if it's a, a, you know, a mom and pop or a single owner restaurant and you haven't done, you're not building a big business or a chain or have a vision about doing, uh, doing more, more, more. Mm-hmm. If you're doing a pretty good job with what you've got, I think people get bored. Mm. I think also the first 10 years of a restaurant is so hard. It's really like Not 20. much left in the tank after oh, that. Man. <laughs> and if you, you know, if you're making a little money, it's really hard to make money in the restaurant business, I think. I mean, really consistently, month after month, year after year, it, it, it takes a long time. So what are the things, can you give me any like, details or specific things that people start to lose attention of first? Running a restaurant, I think, is like painting a big um, ocean liner or a big boat. You get to one end and the other end has already started to peel. So as soon as you've stopped paying attention to food costs, something happens in the market. Avocados go crazy. Flour goes crazy. There's a drought. There's, and you haven't been paying attention. And in two or three months, your food costs can just go off the charts. And it can be really hard to be maintain that or pay attention. So you've got to pay attention. Restaurants are uh, capital-intensive. The labor market now is the biggest problem mm. in Austin, in restaurants, 
in the United States of yeah, America. I say everywhere. It uh, is a huge yeah. labor crisis in in this country at this moment. So if you've gone off and thought, oh, everything's fine, we're good, I can kind of rest on my laurels, I'm here to tell you that there's no resting. It doesn't happen. So aside from not resting, right, and keeping that hustle up and knowing that there's there's sharks right under your heels ready to take over, you know, that to to, to pass you to to uh, to get your guests. Right. Uh, What is something that uh, we can do to make sure we don't get too comfortable, that we don't lose focus of the little things? What have you done to make sure that you're keeping track of all those little things? Well, one is you look at it. I think that if people are not looking at their financials every week mm-hmm. and every we do we do 13 accounting periods a year. I love it. Bookkeepers and accountants hate it. Mm-hmm. But that gives you the same number of payrolls and weekends, same Saturday, same Sunday. So nobody can fudge on what they're looking at. But if you are devoted to the numbers in your business, and it's not a numbers business for me, but that tells me the score of the game. Mm. Um, it keeps your finger on the pulse. keeps my finger, and we do um, unusually so. I think one of the differences, we do an inventory every sat- Sunday night, Monday morning. Mm. Whether it's New Year's Eve, whether it's Christmas Day, we do inventory. What's that do? Well, that means that we are looking at everything that's come into the building and gone out of the building and done a P- little mini P&L on everything that we've done that week. Mm-hmm. So that if something's missing, if something's uh, spilled and somebody didn't, you know, we lost a whole case of steaks. Where did those steaks go? Hmm. Or uh, counting the um, the beer, you know, we, we count everything just to make sure that we know what we've got in and what we put out and how much of it. Yeah. Did we buy and sell? What do we have left? What are we going to start the week with? And I think it, when you pay that much attention to the detail, you, you develop a culture. Uh, people start to know that you don't even try to pull a fast one, right? Like they, like people will know that you cannot get away with that here. They pay attention. It just to makes it harder. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when did you really start to get the itch to open your own place? Never. Okay, so what happened? I loved, this is my client, this restaurant was my client. Okay. I loved these restaurants. I thought they were clever and comfortable and uh, well done. And um, they were just the places I like to be. And I always jokingly said, because I was smart enough to not open a restaurant. I mean, my gosh, I had enough restaurant clients. I knew that only crazy people did that, (laughs) right? I can resonate with that, too. (laughs) Just crazy people open restaurants. Um. They're fun to go to and they're fun to work with, but mm-hmm. don't run, please. Um, and Miss Smarty Pants saw this restaurant go out of business, and I thought, well, I'll just go fix this. You know, I'll just kind of, I like this restaurant. And the owners of the property in the very place that where we're sitting, um, when the restaurant went bankrupt, they were looking for someone to give the lease to on this restaurant. And I just got right in line and pitched with all the big boys because hmm. everybody lo- really loved these restaurants. It, the, this was the first time that a restaurant in Austin had cappuccino, croissant, fresh vegetables, grilled fish, entree salads, huge full-service, beautiful 
bakery items, 20 fresh baked goods every day. And I mean, desserts, beautiful, lavish desserts, and then great bread. So not, there was nothing like this place in Austin, Texas. Okay. So I can see the charm. I can see the allure. You said that you pitched uh, your version of what this should be a lot, right there with all the other the big wigs in town. Uh, what was it about your pitch that resonated with the people here? Oh, who knows? <laughs> my, the, the, my benefactors were um, LBJ's lawyer, Donald Thomas, and John Joseph. They owned the property, and they had the lease on the building. John Joseph was is in the hall is in the um, poker hall of fame. Okay, he was a low ball poker player <laughs> and just the oddest couple. And they liked me, and they thought I probably would take care of the place that they really loved better than anybody else. What makes you think that they thought this about you? Oh my gosh. I think they just looked at me and said, you know, I think you can... Donald Thomas lived down the street, and he wanted a restaurant in his neighborhood, and he didn't want anybody to muck it up too much. And he um, was... They were really old school. We did our lease on the back of a napkin. Mm -hmm. They... um, I think they had some... I mean, I think it was a real intuitive trust that they... um, and I think they liked giving people a chance. Mm. So what was it about you in the way, reflecting back at how you treated this relationship, how you treated them, what was it about that situation? How did you set this up? Uh, maybe not intentionally, but more organically. What was going on? Paint that picture. Um, well, I believed in the restaurant. Mm. I just thought the neighborhood needed the restaurant. I always thought of it as a community place, as a place of community. I mean, in Austin, Texas, probably more people at Dell got their jobs here than anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was an important place in my mind before it really was. We used to serve breakfast. We don't serve. That's the one thing we have eliminated and changed. So there was, you know, and it was served breakfast. It wasn't cafeteria mm-hmm. line. It wasn't bad breakfast. It was nice breakfast. Um I think maybe part of it was just my enthusiasm about the product, not about me, but that um, this was a great uh, place to preserve, even though it hadn't been opened very long, and that I was willing to do. I mean, I was kind of willing to do it. Yeah. I think it was not going to be my career. The big thing. <laughs> it was going to be a stop. <laughs> it was going to be a stop on the road yeah. down the line. And I was just going to make sure that we all had this restaurant that we'll we dis- like so much in our neighborhood. <laughs> we'll and then- dissect that later. <laughs> so uh, the big thing I'm hearing is that there was this level, I think that this level of authenticity that was coming from you that maybe didn't resonate or didn't permeate from the other people that were, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder with you, jockeying for the space. Uh, It was more to you than just just an asset, right? It had that that level of charm, that level of character that you wanted to preserve. And I think that was probably what resonated with these people. I think that's true. I also think, though, these two men, I mean, knowing them was worth any MBA. Mm -hmm. They were old school gentlemen okay you just opened up a whole can of worms there what did you learn from these gentlemen how how you'd make a deal on a handshake your word is your bond 
I mean, absolutely. Integrity. Absolute integrity. Anything else you learned from these individuals? Um, when I bought the property, the owner said to me, "Next time you, next time you pay for the pay it off." I mean, what did he say? Just let me think. Um, Take your time. Next time you pay for it, it'll be yours. That's not it. Meaning, <laughs> I'd already paid him once by renting it from him. The next time that I paid it off, it would actually be mine. Uh-huh. He also said um, to somebody else who was in the room um, talking on the phone about a hardballing a deal, he said um, his, he and his partner always felt like they needed to leave a little meat on the bone for the next guy. Hmm. And I always felt like that was um, – there was a lot of uh, – you know, they, they they didn't give me anything. They gave me a chance. They believed in me. They made a fair deal with me. They signed a lease on the, literally on the back of a napkin. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and uh, and there were a lot of people who wanted this particular where we're sitting, this particular place, because it was um, – it just had some nice characteristics. It's a freestanding building yep. also, not in a shopping nice center. Nice parking lot. Well, that used to be a gravel. Oh, okay. But there's still a place <laughs> to, to park in the city, It used to be a gravel city, pit, right? and then there was a um, gardener's shed over in the corner. Where we're sitting now, it was a liquor store. Okay, interesting. The, the neighborhood liquor store. And the next door where the restaurant is was a swimming pool store. But it started out being, I believe, the Marie Antoinette dress shop. Built in 1954. Okay. Big deal in this yeah. neighborhood. Because this was the edge of town. It This is now the center of Austin, it's, Texas. It's got that natural boutique-y kind of look to it, though. That you can see, you could see a, like a dress shop being in here. For right. Sure. Yeah. Um, so what was it like? So you, you got the space. It's your space now. What did it look like? You own a restaurant. You've never owned a restaurant before. And this is a big operation. Like, what was your life like at that point? I made the most conservative Estimates. So I told you I have a degree in theater. Mm-hmm. One thing they do not teach you much of in theater is uh, income statement, balance sheet, yeah. uh, cash flow statement. You didn't learn that at culinary school. Projections. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I thought I was way smarter than I was. Okay. So uh, what I learned is if you blink, you can go out of business in the restaurant business. Did you have a lot of close calls? Oh, my gosh. I, I can still be there in such an instance of, can I, I'm never not paid payroll, paid my tax, never not paid anything. But it was some weeks was just, okay, we pay the payroll at three after 3 o'clock on Friday so that the um, checks that get cash don't show up until, you know, in the olden days, didn't show up until Monday. Um, today, banking's a lot is a lot faster but today we don't have to worry about if you pay, cash your check whether there'll be money in the bank <laughs> to pay it but so mostly was cash flow then learning just learning the component i mean this business is not like any other this is the only business in the world where you manufacture and sell a um, perishable product in the same building in the same day right nobody else Nobody else is in making and inventorying and selling in the same day their product. Yeah, that is 
a very unique aspect of the industry for sure. And you have a big responsibility because you have a perishable product that can kill people. Mm-hmm. So you have to be so smart. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And the terror is when you realize, when you wake up one day and go, oh, my gosh, I don't really um, know everything I need to know. And I'm being very polite now about it. That's not what I said. (laughs) So you mentioned earlier the life cycle of a restaurant. So take us through just surviving that first year. Like you didn't know anything. How did you get through it? I mean, you knew a few things. I mean, obviously you figure some stuff out, but like, what was it like? What advice? If you could go back in time, pretend like for the rest of this conversation, we're reflecting back at the, the portions of your, uh, the life cycle of your restaurant, right? Still going around today. If you go back in time to that version of yourself and give that version of yourself advice, like what would you say to yourself back in the first year? Like what were you doing and what advice would you have for that person? Well, the the most um, the best quality for a person in this business is energy and resilience mm-hmm. and courage, because some days are so scary. I mean, in the first I don't know the first day the first day we opened it was a Wednesday and we people of course there had been another restaurant here and people were excited to come back. We weren't closed very long because I couldn't afford to be, mm-hmm. um, but I went back and washed dishes. I mean, that was a, had a great appreciation for the rest of my life for dishwashers. Right. Uh, So that was a first. Okay, wash dishes, good. Okay, anybody can wash dishes. Okay, so that was a little inkling of hard. So then the the next terror is a day where you don't have to wash dishes because, (sighs) you know, your business has been different than, and it may not have anything to do with you. It may be. Uh, we opened in May, so we opened May the 24th, 1989, and in June, I walked out in the front yard, because I have a freestanding building, you're looking at the garden, um, there was a, there still is a yard there, there were all of these, um, those little landscaping flags that are uh, road building flags, Yeah, they were going to, so I'd only opened in May, so I didn't have very much of a track record. And they were going to put two more lanes of high of road, not highway, felt like a highway to me, in my front yard and would have put me out of business. That was in June. Man. So I went around to, and I had not gotten the notifications. They'd sent them to the owners. They okay. were just, and there, were, there was big earth-moving equipment at the corner. I'm only, I'm only one lot from the corner. Yes. So, they were coming fast, and it was June. Not a great, I mean, hot Texas heat, Austin heat. The busy restaurants are the ones at the lake, the ones where you can be outdoors, mm-hmm. the casual, casual, casual. I hadn't even lived through a year of running it myself. Yeah. What, and whatever I thought I knew, you don't know. It's just a, just a mythology. I know of, we're going back almost 30 years, but like, what didn't you know? Like, what do you know today that you didn't know then? Like, break well, it out. L- let me, let me finish the, yeah, yeah. the road story. So what I didn't know was not to go ask. So I went down and I talked to the guys in the big machine and I said, please don't make me lie down in front of you because it'll just <laughs> be an awful story. And here's some brownies and some tea and, could you just give me a day to find out why you're going to put me out of business? I'm just asking. Okay, lady. 
So I went to the city council. And the wonderful thing about Austin is I knew most of the people on the city council for various reasons. Um, but just if you get involved in the city, you just know people. Yep. So I went down to uh, what was called Citizens Communication, and I said, um, you're going to put two lanes of highway, and it will put me out of business. And I said, if you need the road, I, I get it. But could you explain to me the decision that you made that we needed those lanes of highway? And they didn't know. And so the next day they had a person out here counting cars with a little, um, you know, pencil yep. and a little, uh, you know, clipboard. And there were, then I did a little research because this happened really fast. And I found out that roads have um, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and the number of cars per day determines what level they are and the need for more roads if you're at certain capacity. Okay. So... They, um, we were way down on G or D, way at the bottom. And so they decided they didn't need two lanes of highway. They said they just kind of were going to do it because they could. Okay. And so that saved my life. And I, and my point being, I went around to all the neighbors and I said, do you know about this? And do you want to come with me? And do you, and they said, oh no, nobody will do anything about that. Oh no, no, but no, they won't. Well, please. Good luck. So what's the moral of the story? All they can do is say no. Mm -hmm. I had a feeling it was coming back to that. Well, and I didn't know, but but also I didn't know not to go ask. Yeah. I just uh, humbled up and went and I wasn't, um, I really was curious. I really wanted to know and I was hoping and they were really nice to me. I mean, that's what I loved. They sent me to the transportation department, and they talked to me, and they actually got an answer, and they stopped coming down the street. And um, they didn't build to this day. We've got, this is a, you know, this is an internal urban kind of little retail center. It's still the start of a of a nice little neighborhood, and it while there's still a lot of through traffic, given the traffic issues in Austin, it's still part of our, you know, neighborhood trade center. Yeah, I think the other moral to the story, too, is back to what I said earlier about you and a certain type of person that is willing to go and do something when they see something that's wrong. Something needs to be done about this. You went and did something about it. And there's a certain type of person that takes the initiative that that doesn't know that they can't do something. They just do it, right? So, But part of it, and that's where I've, when I've thought about the qualities that I would say if I was looking at somebody to say courage, because mm-hmm. you don't realize at the time that that's what something took, but you really got it. I mean, I didn't know what I was asking yeah. really. I think the other variable that I really love about the story too, is that you, the way you went about doing it, you didn't, you didn't just lay in front of the, the tractor and it said, you Screw you. You weren't flipping the bird to all the construction workers. You went out there with tea and brownies. I just wanted them to give me a chance. (laughs) That's really always what, uh, I mean, that's also another position. But you get what you get. Let me just, let me, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to ask for help. Politely. And politely. You know what? You can always go to righteous indignation and spit and fire. But if you start with with a real curious question, Excuse me, could you tell me why you're building this road? And 
I mean, everybody was flabbergasted. We don't know why. Okay. Should we have a reason or not? I mean, they were very reasonable people. I love it. There's some. That's a great. There's a but whole bunch of lessons. That in the story. saved my life. I love it. I forget that. I forget that part of the story often. But that was. I mean, the first month was hard because it, most of it was like opening day. The 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 dishes had to be washed or something that I just didn't. I mean, I just didn't know how to do. So when you when you bought this restaurant, did you buy the team that came along with it? Did you have did you have all the pieces of the puzzle? Was it a was it a turnkey operation, or did you have to go find a chef, find a, a manager? Like how how did all those pieces come together? No, I had I had a, a kitchen staff who wanted to keep their jobs. Okay. That was one of my compelling reasons to get open mm-hmm. fast. Mm-hmm. I had bakers, a baker who was pregnant who needed some health insurance. Mm-hmm. I had um, wait staff. I mean, you know, there weren't a lot of places to get jobs. So okay. I had a com- really compelling uh, reason to – I wanted to keep the team in place. I had trained them. I had done their marketing, advertising. I'd done a lot of the training. I knew the people. I loved the restaurant. I I kind of felt like I was the – you know, I was going to be the white knight, come in and make sure everybody was stable, and then I was going to go back to doing whatever I was – you know, do doing more marketing or advertising or, you know, things things like that. I loved – promoting and finding interesting ideas and people and that's what I loved about the advertising business everything was new that's why I only had one of each instead of a whole bunch of the same thing because I could learn and kind of find the interesting backstory that would be fun to tell and tell that story and I love telling those um, I love telling those stories so you thought you were going to come in save the day maybe turn around and sell it to somebody that you believed had a chance of doing it, but you ended up sticking around for the next 30 years. Uh, (laughs) So what was it about the industry that, that kept you in it? It was so hard. There was not, there was not a day that I didn't get up learning something Mm. new. And I mean, just like not having any water. I woke up that day and there was no at five 30 in the morning. No water. Hmm. How do you run a dishwasher? You know, how do we how do we stay open? I mean, I've said to people, if we're closed, it's either because I'm dead, and if if we're closed and I'm dead, that is not good. We've got cash flow to worry about. You better be open. Um, I mean, I think we've closed two or three times, but most importantly, places. It's important when things are happening that are negative around that places like this stay open Nine mm. eleven, my staff wanted us to close and go home and i said no 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 we have to be the beacon on the street we have to open the door we have to be here providing warmth and comfort and um, a light on that's when i started doing all these gardens here and i did the um the courtyard what we call the courtyard between these two buildings we're sitting in a, a secondary room and then the main restaurant and there was a ditch there and I said you know what if we better do it now because and I didn't have any money to do it but I thought we needed to do an outward and visible sign for the community and you know I always thought of this place as a community gathering place that um, little places like this play such a role and I didn't you know this was early on 89 to 2001 so we hadn't been here been here long enough to at least know that we probably were going to have the capacity to keep being here 
but um, we I kind of paid for everything going along rather than borrowing money. So- Okay, what's the value in that? Instead of going out and putting yourself in debt, what's the value of scaling when you have cash flow to cover the scale? Well, I'm the then I'm the banker, mm-hmm. and I can rely on myself. Mm-hmm. And if I can't, you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I mean, I'm gonna collect the money before I'm gonna go and um, borrow. I borrowed a little money to open, and uh, all the banks failed. And it took a long time to make those. Mm. If you've got too many payments, it's besides your rent. You cannot have a bad day. Nope. And you've got to have a place where you can have a snow day, a no water day. Uh, I mean, I don't know. 112 degrees outside, yeah. who's going to eat any food day? You know, there are all kinds of days in a restaurant that happen that you've got to be able to weather those storms. So you painted that picture earlier for us for the life cycle of the restaurant. Uh, we You made it through the first year. Now you're, you know, you're five, right? Uh, that's where you say, like, that's where things are steady. Uh, then after year five or during that, maybe I'm getting it wrong, but what was it like? How do you stay? I guess the word I, I have for you is how do you stay fresh? That's something that comes up a lot in the show. A restaurant, and you see it all the time. A restaurant will open and will be the, the hottest spot in town. And then once everybody has, you know, been there, Instagrammed it, they move on to the next big thing. But you are a staple in the Austin community. What is it about what you've done here that other restaurants swing and miss? Like, what is special about. Chazy, I want to call it say Chazy, and I know that's not it. Shay, Shay, Shay Thank Shay-Z. you, thank you. I know what a hard name to say. I thought it was just <laughs> so obvious to go from one Shay to the next, and oh my god, my my company name was Zenith Cafe Corporation, and I couldn't afford all those letters on a sign, so <laughs> I I had Shay already, and so I thought, oh, Z, and Z alone by itself didn't seem enough, so I, I bought those two vowels, because <laughs> that's all I could afford. I mean, when, you know, when I said I was busted, I mean, man, I didn't have any money, no money. So five years, we, I just taught myself. I went home, um, Almost, I took a, so the very first thing I did was I had a friend whose father um, was teaching an MBA class at UT called Frontline Management, and I asked if I could sit in on a class, and the first class was interesting and I could understand everything, so I asked if I could sit in on the rest of the classes, and he um, became a dear friend. His, his daughter and my son are very good friends, and he took Dell Public he was, um, you know, very, I mean, he was a, a big enough, serious entrepreneur and uh, very well respected in the community. And um, I started, lear- the other thing I did was I started learning. And I went home every single night from about 11 to 2 every morning, and I studied Every accounting restaurant accounting book, I bought as many um, things as I could that would help figure out the. I struggled with the budget. I struggled. I struggled. I struggled. I had a restaurant that was open breakfast, lunch, dinner, and had a huge bread bakery and dessert bakery. Man. I eliminated the bread bakery because I thought I've got to choose one or the other, and I think desserts are more fun than bread. Mm-hmm. Was my opinion. I, I, I'm, I, I think that was right. <laughs> um, 
because I love, oh my gosh, do I love talking about our desserts. And our desserts are just so spectacular. I just got the, spectacular. the refrigerator to the dessert that all the cakes opened up for me on my tour of the restaurant before uh-huh. hitting record. And man, uh, what a, a blast. Oh just, boy, I know. It's fun uh, to, to go in there and just see so much delicious stuff made fresh. I mean, we're making, we make turn over our inventory. So I learned things like turning over, how many times a week do you turn over your inventory? Okay, well, we turn over our inventory about six or seven, meaning we're not storing stuff. We don't have big storage. We're, we're bringing in, we're prepping for lunch at breakfast. We're prepping for dinner right after lunch. You know, we're prepping and moving food through here really fast so that I know that it's fresh. But I had to learn how to do that had to learn how to teach myself how to do inventory. I looked for programs. I looked to the Texas Restaurant Association. I was never um, beyond asking for help, but trying to figure out who could help and who had the time and how did I have the time to help. I mean, that's why I spent so much time late at night. I watched a court TV and studied my my books. Night after night after that night. That blows after my night. mind because anybody who's worked in this industry who's done a 12 hour day knows how exhausted you are when you're going home after 12 or 13 hours. And then instead of going home, putting something on the TV, just vegging out and resting, like you're hitting the books, you're educating, you're, you're up. And, and I'm not, and I mean, again, I say, I don't say anything about like how good I was. I mean, I'm not kidding. I really did these things because mm-hmm. my life, the other thing is my life depended on it. Mm-hmm. When um, we had the water crisis a few months ago and people came in and said, you're open. And I said, well, you know, when you run a place and your life depends on it, and everybody <laughs> yeah. else who works here, I said, their lives depend on it too. You know what? You figure out how to make it happen. Yeah. One thing I want to make sure we spend a lot of time on before we wrap things up and move to the speed round is how you have stayed relevant. And not only have you stayed relevant, but you seem like you told me today that last week you broke a record. Uh, was um, was it for sales? Uh-huh. That blows my mind that you're still growing, that you're still blowing your, your old records out of the water uh, 30 years into it, where, where most restaurants are slowing down and losing their their pizzazz, right? Like you're going strong. So what is it about you in your restaurant that's unique that has enabled you to stay so relevant in a market that is like known throughout the world as being a a hot scene for food? How have you done it? Well, I think, I mean, I think one thing is I really like it and the people here like it. And um, we have been participated in the community for 30 years. In fact, I I almost, somebody asked us what our giving um, philosophy was, and I said, say yes, because that's what we've done. We've sponsored, we've sponsored things in this room, we've donated food, we've gone to the charity events where people do the big food roundups. We've, um, you know, we've just advertised in you know, at the school and with the school and with families and um, facilitated meetings, posted, uh, we show local artists. We'd have uh, the most wonderful roster of uh, world-class local um, musicians. 
So we do a lot of things, and we talk, and we try to talk about it. And um, I mean, I don't know if that's you know, after ten years, people got married, they got engaged, they bring me their baby and said, "Look, I ate coconut cream pie every week." for uh, nine months and look what I got. Mm. I mean, we start having those kinds of uh, relationships Mm -hmm. with people and we know who they are and we talk to them. And plus I've got a kitchen full of people whose um, lives depend on having enough people here. So we've really thought about, I've always thought about what could we do that nobody else is doing. So for instance, we're open for New Year's Day brunch at 9 a.m. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Talk about a hard gig yeah, and a hard turnaround. But, you know, that's why I thought, well, you know, who's – who's and we're closed on Thanksgiving and we're closed on Christmas. Now lots of people are open. You know why? Because business is so hard and so competitive. But you said something that's really important there. You said, I always ask myself – what I can do that no one else is doing. And that is a unique selling proposition. What can I do that's unique? And I think that's probably, was the brunch going on when you took over the, the restaurant or was that something that you added to it? No, they did um, Sunday brunch. I can't remember if we did Saturday and Sunday, but we've done now Saturday and Sunday so, brunch. And we also did brunch from nine to three because personally I like to eat brunch about one or two. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly love coming at nine having pancakes, but I'd much rather have eggs benedict at about two. Um, so a lot, I have to also admit that a lot of it is what I like. Mm. What am I interested in? What's, uh, what makes me really happy? Long hours. I also, the thing I love is I love to come in a restaurant and, be able to pick and choose how I might want to eat this day. What I began to notice in the beginning is we had a lot of people who ate a lot of a lot of times here during the week. So the food needed to be consistent. It needed to be reliable. In my opinion, it needed to be filling. It needed to not be what I call stupid food. So many ingredients, you don't know what it is. You can't tell. You know, it's showing off food. It's good. Bistro food was... Um, long hours and very comforting not um you know and not just common food but commonly wonderful food that's where the desserts are so thrilling for me because um when you when you can guarantee that the staples on the menu so we have a printed menu and then we do we change specials every two weeks the staff gathers we taste specials together we pick and choose so that the I also thought that the um, kitchen staff needed a creative outlet. Cooking the same stuff over and over and over again can yeah. not be as exciting. So they get a um, they get to learn, they get to um, develop new things. So then that's why we're always looking at new things. We um, people uh, love fish. So we cook a lot of fish. We cook have a fresh fish special every day. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kept thinking about what are all the things that I like to eat and do. And some days I want to come in and get a burger and a great glass of wine. Some days I just want uh, a Caesar salad and a dessert. Mm -hmm. And I eat here uh, almost every day. 
It's, that, you're, you're bringing up a really good point. And a lot of people will say, you know, play to the market, give the market what they want. And I, I believe there's some truth to that. I also believe there's some truth to doing what you want because you're the one that has to be here all the time. And you have to have some type of something tied to what you're doing. Why do you think there are all these twinkle lights here? <laughs> yeah. I went to Tivoli Garden in Denmark and I saw twinkle lights and I thought that was the most beautiful thing I'd ever <laughs> seen in my life. And I go in, I have to admit, I go into restaurants and I say, you know, if they had a few twinkle lights, it'd feel better in here. So we're talking about the twinkle lights right now. What Sharon is referencing is she has this, I don't know, maybe an affinity for Christmas tree lights. You, you love light. And, there, and there's lights. It's very like, your charm, your character is all over the place here. And I don't know you that well. I've only got to know you for maybe the past hour. But this is an extension of you. It's your personal brand extended into this physical space. Uh, and I, I think that that is important. Uh, and I always say, behind every great restaurant, it's a great person. And you know, I think you're just continuing to prove that point. Uh, I think you can tell when you walk in a restaurant what the owner if it's an owner if it's an art artisanal artisan restaurant which i say is somebody who you can tell somebody owns it yeah somebody cares about it but you can also tell what they care about and what i really care about is comfort and welcome Mm. i want to feel good i want to uh and i also i want to know that somebody's happy to have me there Mm -hmm. i go a lot of places these days and so this is a good segue because one of the things I wanted to make sure we nailed down today before my time ended here with you is what you had to say about loyalty in uh, regulars because you've been in this spot now for over 30 years. You mentioned some of the people that were here when you first came on scene were who were in their 40s or now in their 70s, right? And, and you have the, the sense of uh, of loyalty to you and to this restaurant from your, your guests. How do you build that loyalty? How, how do we get that same level of loyalty to say relevant for 30 years like you've done? Well, one thing is that the big thing in my training is smile and know their name. Mm. But I had, a, I had an aha moment when the manager and I were delivered um, Ben Crenshaw's father's family there we took all of Charlie Crenshaw's favorite meals, and they were at hospice. And we brought their food over, all the food that Charlie loved to eat, who couldn't eat anymore. And down the hall was another one of our customers, Jeanette, good friend, lovely woman who was in here all the time. And I, we got it, and we left the food for um, Charlie Crenshaw's family, and then we went down and saw... Jeanette and I got in the car and I said you know that's the business we're in we're in the business of relationships and I said and I also I sat there for a long time after we got in the car and I said you know when I started this I had not counted on being a part of people's lives so I think I mean we know who they are we know where they are we've taken food to the woman who's had a baby and can you can you sneak this into the hospital i mean these days <laughs> yeah. these days that's not so hard but you know 30 years ago you had to kind of sneak food into the hospital or um just 
just knowing the people who come in the door. And I, and part of that is why I say it's so hard, because that means you're here a lot. Yeah, you're here a lot. And we can only handle so many relationships, too. Each person can only average about 150 relationships, right? Uh, so to, to, to be the type of person that has that capacity to manage all those relationships, to remember all the little details about every person, and to actually care on top of not only having the capacity, the mental capacity to manage all that, but to care. And to let that caring transfer and translate uh, is so, so valuable. Um, And that makes it worth doing both at the front door where people people know we care. mm -hmm. I mean, people know if they have something wonderful to say, we want to hear it. And if they have something that they want us to know, I take that as such a compliment because it means they care that we will always be here and will make sure that everything is the way they want it and i mean if i get a i mean we've had staples on the menu so if somebody says you know go check the corn and shrimp soup always they're always right yep that's amazing uh awesome stuff so far anything you want to get out before we get to the speed round and start to wrap up this conversation anything you want to leave with us that you, you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to talk about to this point Oh, my gosh. Um, One of the big, in the life cycle of a restaurant, one of the big things for me was the day I borrowed the money to buy the property. Okay, take us there. That was a big, um, and I say that because I just paid off that note 24 years later. You just did that? Yes. A high five. Bring it in. Yes, that's awesome. Congratulations. And that was a, uh, that was a lifelong talk about a lifelong goal i mean i never thought that would happen i i really didn't i thought you know just like when you buy a house yeah like, are you gonna pay off your house really oh come on nobody does that right, right? <laughs> so i thought they should i thought the bank was like gonna throw me like a little party or yeah, something nothing. or no confetti in an no, envelope or anything kind of shake my hand <laughs> pat me on the back well like the the men who sold me the property they yeah. they would have yeah they would have known what that meant and also i mean to me it was about one the ability to do it because that was talk about having courage i had no they kept asking me if i had down payment i had no money i said no 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 and i finally found a banker who's i said is there another way you have a down payment that's not money (laughs) i know this sounds silly and he said yes and then he helped me figure out how to do that. So one big lesson that I learned again was that all they can do is say no. Yeah. And that you can, if you keep your mouth shut, you can learn and learn and learn as you go along and learn the vocabulary, learn how it's to be done. I mean, I've been, I've got to do a new roof. So I've been taking roofing 101. Jeez. This Always is, learning new things. This is not a it class continues. I. This is not a class I wanted to <laughs> to take. But you know, it's a big expense, and so I needed to really uh, find the exact right match. Sharon, I've loved this conversation. You've been a lot of fun to talk to. We're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsor. We'll be right back. If you listen to Restaurant Unstoppable, I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but I'll say it again. There are two 
things that you need to let determine your growth. The first thing, that's people. The second thing, that's cash flow. And we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because I'm working with cashflowtool.com, the ultimate cloud-based solution for your business. Cashflowtool.com is simple, powerful, and predictive. It's simple because it requires no data entry. It's always up to date and it works on any device, anywhere. It's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar, activity feed, and anomaly detector, you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises. And it's predictive because you know your cash flow today and you can anticipate it tomorrow. Head over to www.cashflowtool.com unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price. All right, I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurants unstoppable and you'll get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there so we're back and usually i dive straight into the speed round at this point but when the recording had stopped uh sharon just started dropping all these additional nuggets on me on the, the power of visioning right and she started bringing up names like aria Weinswag, past guest on the show from zingerman's ann arbor zing train you can learn his stuff uh jim lab was another name you picked up from restaurantowner.com another past guest on the show and you really dissected the significance of visioning and i want to get that from you one more time but on tape this time uh what is a vision why is a vision so important well and i and i to give credit i mean i learned this at at zing train and from our ari yep um but vision a vision for whether it's your day or a week or your life or your business is inspiring and it's physically sound Mm -hmm. so that means you're not just daydreaming you're not just wanting to be rich or successful. I mean, one, you have a real uh, uh, set of components about what does that really look like to you? And then back up and how am I going to get there? So that every day you're working on that, whether it's what's the vision for the shift? The vision for the shift is we're not going to have any mistakes today. How are we going to make that happen? Can I be inspired by not having a mistake? Sure, if we're all in it, Mm -hmm. if we're all helping each other, what can I do to help you not make a mistake. I think the great example you gave me is the the bricklayer. Oh yeah, Get, that, dive into that. And I got that from um, Bill Shore, 
who founded Share Our Strength, which is one of the significant hunger relief fundraising uh, nonprofits mm-hmm. in the United States, in the world now. But he wrote a book called Revolution of the Heart, and he talks about the difference between the you go up, man goes up to the bricklayer and says, what are you doing? And he says, well, you know, I'm just laying these, you know, just laying these bricks endlessly. And the same man goes up to another bricklayer the next day in another part of the building and says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a cathedral. Mm. Well, whose day do you think is going to be better? (laughs) Whose day is, I mean, the same amount of energy, the same amount of hard work. And the person who goes home and says, I laid bricks for the most magnificent cathedral. And the cathedral actually gets built. I mean, I love that um, uh, vision because... It took so long to build the most beautiful places that we tour and look at, and you think, how did they, how did they sustain that day after day? And in any business, there is ninety percent is hard to do. Yeah, and you need that inspiration, and I think that's really what the vision does: is it it shows you what we're here to accomplish, what's possible and what can be a result of your hard work to give you purpose, to give you inspiration to show up differently than if you were just laying bricks, right? Well, and it also, I mean, people can read that in, in you every day when they look at you, you're either happy to be doing what you're doing. I pick up a little, I've got one right here, the little tops of uh, sweet and low and, and uh, sugar packets. Yeah. Because, you know, that's one of the things I do. Somehow people <laughs> seem to not pick those up. And I think, you know, it's because I want I want the place to look good for everybody. She people, literally has a rolled up piece of trash in her hand that she, she picked up off the ground. I do. I do. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Uh, let's roll into the speed round now. Thank you for getting into that. I appreciate you. So the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Smile. Smiling. I love it. What is your biggest weakness? Um, having too many ideas. Ooh, I struggle from that one. How are you dealing with that? Um, I, you know what? I just have decided that's how it is. <laughs> and I just uh, try to um, put them in. I have to train the staff, though, when I'm talking about things. It doesn't mean we're going to have to do every one of these things. But... Um, I, I, um, you know, I just, I love to think and I love to, to imagine and I love mm-hmm. to read. And so I have, uh, it, it, you should look at my car. <laughs> the books have books and I have, uh, I'll take a look before we all leave. <laughs> kinds of stuff in the car. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you, when you're growing your team, when you're hiring people? Um, how much energy you have and also just do they smile i mean if they walk across the room and they're not smiling not gonna work out right (laughs) probably well you know you got to be happy to have walked in here and you've got to be happy to to um be here because it's hard it's hard work what's your biggest challenge today staffing Mm. human be human for somebody who's been in the industry for 30 years working in this restaurant um, how is it different now than it was in the past? The labor market is so, um, so tight, so tight. And in a town like this, where one, I told you there were 5,700 restaurants. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also, also all the biggest corporations in the country, and everybody is looking for up and down the line 
uh, people to work. So how are you combating with that? Uh, weeping. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, one is keep training, training the people we get well and and keeping them. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, one thing, too, is the, the keeping people, not focusing on getting new people, but focusing on retaining the people you have. And you have your sous chef, I believe it was, who's been here. You said At his, least tw- 29 years. We won't say how old he is. Uh, <laughs> he looks younger than he really is. I'd have to at, really re- But it's been the it. only job he's ever had, right? Yeah. And that's a testament right yeah. there, a perfect he, example. He's like a, he's like a son from another mother. Yeah. Uh, what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Integrity. Mm. Act out of integrity all the, all the time. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is something you do for your guests. It's common within your four walls, but not common within the industry. Well, I mean, I always think we go the extra mile, and that really comes from training from Zingermans. Find out what they want, get it for them accurate, po- accurately, politely, enthusiastically, yeah. and then go the extra mile. I know they have a whole book on the Zingerman standards to train. Service, or, yeah. yeah uh, but I out. think we, I think we, um, just by how we are with people, we do that all the time. I mean, we walk people to their cars, meet them at their cars. I mean, I don't, I don't know what. One time we didn't have a. Somebody ordered a pie for us, and we didn't. We weren't making it, and nobody told the person we ordered. And we went and got them a pie, and made sure they had a pie. Um, because here's the thing: people people expect the expected. That's why it's called an it's expected, right? You can't do what's expected and, and expect to be sought out. You need to go above and beyond what's expected, and that's where you really well. And these the these days, it's really listening and and. Not acting like you care, but actually caring. Yeah, people listen to what you do, not what you say, right? That's uh, right. What's one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? Oh, my gosh. You know, I have so many. The book I'm reading currently that I love that's been so helpful is called The Art of Gathering okay. by Priya Parker. And it's about how you bring – and it's such a uh, – and it's a pretty new book. I heard her interviewed on a show called Think. Uh, on um, uh, come uh, hosted by Chris Boyd out of Dallas. It's a daily NPR show, and um, she really talks through the intentionality of gathering people together, and how to really create a meaningful um, gathering, and to be really, really mindful about what you want for them and for you, and why you're doing it. Whether it's a meeting or a book club. Or a birthday party, or a wedding. She goes so deep that it's just um, gave me a lot of inspiration to really stop and think more, be more thoughtful. Because what, do, what else do we do here but gather? But we all gather all the time. What's the big, the one nugget that you can give us from that book that you that you learned something new from that book? Um, it's n- not who you invite, but it's who you don't invite not including everybody, how to make it, just how to choose who you want to come to the event. Uh, something I didn't even really think about is help myself when I'm choosing who to 
have come together. Mm. And that's that's a hard thing because we all feel obligated and we feel like we need to. And this is something, I mean, this just shows, you know, you can get off on little tangents, but um, that just happens to be what I'm reading this week. Got you. And one thing I want to just, uh, I want to commend you because one thing I've learned from having all these interviews conducted is that the learning process never ends. And you being somebody who's been in this industry for 30 years, been successful for 30 years, there isn't a doubt with in my mind that a testament to that is your desire and willingness to continue learning, to continue to go and to, to grow. And as soon as you stop learning, right, that's when your, your, your competitors, or I don't know how you want to look at it, but that's, that's when you become, irrelevant well and i think learning. it's learning for yourself mm-hmm. uh what's interesting to you but i also think it's also learning about your staying engaged and interested in your business mm-hmm. Absolutely. what's new now and instead of competing against it's it's developing your own self your own ideas mm-hmm. what's what's interesting here what are we doing that's fresh that's new not necessarily that everybody else is against everybody or with everybody, but just what can we do here in our little uh, place in the world? I mean, one thing that matters to the neighborhood is that we have so many trees and a big garden. Mm. I forget about that. Yeah. But the neighborhood has, and I have always had a great, and the neighborhood associations are really strong in Austin. We've always had a great relationship because they appreciate that I have created a little green oasis here. I mean, I never thought about that. You were just doing it for yourself. You were comparing yourself today to the version of the person you were yesterday, and you continue to do that. Well, and how, how, what's nice about driving up on a, you know, an urban street? I mean, we have one of the biggest stands of Carolina jasmine out here that blooms in May. You, you don't go anywhere these days yeah. where you smell a scent from flowers when you get out of your car and greets you in the parking lot. It's beautiful. I mean, they're not they're not fresh flower scents. Where I love it. I get so excited with that <laughs> yeah, time can, of I year comes. Because, and so that it, you know, that's just something that. And also in terms of marketing and selling, that's what we can talk about. I love it. Great stuff. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Oh my god. Well, I mean, I think everybody has their point of view, and the people who are so interested in the food very often don't pay attention to the service. People who are interested in the service may not be picky about the food. Uh, I, I think the numbers the numbers tell the game, and it's not why we do it, but if you are not, you don't live and die by the numbers, you are not going to be there very long. What is one technology that you've adopted recently that has had a big impact on operations communications efficiencies things like of that matter and you gave me a look when i asked (laughs) well you saw those cable wires you know when we up upgraded the point of you know the dreaded point of sales yeah. in um, that was one of the things i was interested in during the free-flowing portion of the conversation because being around for 30 years you've come you've seen so many things come and go right technologies lo- be relevant and lose their relevancy so i was kind of curious to see what you're doing for technology. well you know i think there's i mean we've we've everybody struggles with point of sales mm-hmm. And what I'm amazed at, although there, I do think there is a company in Austin called Compete that's developed a product that interfaces well with point of sale, um, 
but the accounting function and the inventory function and everybody says they have those things I mean after 30 years I've never found any elegant solution to um, incorporating all of those things together compete is something that has come up a few times in the show are you guys using they're ba- no yeah. they're based in Austin mm-hmm. I have some friends who use it I have great admiration for their um, system it is a elegantly beautiful system what and what I'm going to say and people who run restaurants will know is the transition from one um, system to another and if you don't have much downtime and time where somebody can just come and set it up for you and everybody just kind of magically wakes up one day and they've learned it yeah it's just hard. It's hard to make the transition. Even when it's good and even when it's going to be better for you and even, 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 it's just, oh, my gosh, could I just have January where I don't have to learn a new, whole new system. And any t- I don't know, even when we upgrade the, the uh, technology that we have, it, you know, some disaster happens on, on Mother's Day. Yeah. So is that the answer, compete? Well, I'd say compete. I'd say compete is a very elegant product that I think. Uh, I think, and I love that it was that Austin's their home. Awesome. Somebody from out of Austin had to tell me. <laughs> well, they do. They do a lot of really big, large, yeah, uh, large companies. We get the benefit of a lot of new technology. Um, uh, immediate feedback systems. There, lots of stuff is developed here in a beta. Uh, new applications and things like that. None of them have. Um, I'm really interested in a a wallet. They still haven't come up with that. Open Table was going to do it, where you put in your credit card and you just come, and people can pay their bills and they they can split checks and they can all do it easily together. We've not found it to be um, so well developed and not highly adopted across the board. So. I think those things will be. I think they're making leeway. Some really interesting platforms out there that are doing, supposedly, I heard, uh, I know Breadcrumb is really well known for being able to divide the checks. Uh, Bread uh, Toast is another one. Uh, a lot of these cloud-based POS companies are really getting uh, very creative with developing solutions that, that are unique to the restaurant industry. So uh, it's worth checking out. But this is the last question I have for okay. you. Are you ready for it? Yes. Uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world, uh, maybe going, you got abducted by aliens, but you're, whatever, you're, you're you're leaving this world tomorrow uh, and all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be gone with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you can leave behind. Three things you know to be true about your success here and that you can leave behind for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Gosh, only three. Most people say, i got to come up with three and you're saying only three? Okay. <laughs> well, let's see. <laughs> three pieces of wisdom. Hmm. Um... Well, here's my three pieces of wisdom for myself. Uh, Be brave, be strong, be kind. Be brave, be strong, be kind. Thank you so much, Sharon. This has been such a great conversation. I've really loved every second of it. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one person that you really admire in Austin who you look up to in the restaurant scene and you think would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Um, well, I have three. Okay, I'll take three. Um, Eddie Bernal, 
who runs uh, several restaurants and a big catering business. Um, Bick Brown, who runs Hyde Park Bar and Grill. These are my go-to guys. And um, Ed Norton and Skeeter um, Miller, who run uh, County Line Barbecue. Say those names one more time for me. All three of them? Just run through them Uh, real quick, the names. Uh, Eddie Bernal. Eddie. Bick. Bick. Ed Ed and Skeeter. And Skeeter. Look out, guys. I'm coming after you. I would love to get you on the show. And let the folks at home know, how can we follow you, uh, what you're doing, maybe a website, social handles, uh, the best way to connect. Maybe we want to come join your team. What's the best way to connect? Shazy.com. All right. And and I think, you know, we have, yeah, Facebook, Shazy, Instagram, Twitter. I think we tweet and twit and <laughs> pick and all that stuff. This is episode 570. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 570. I have a summary of today's discussion as well as the links to any books, services, and recommendations all over there in the show notes. Again, Sharon, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to sit with me, to share your story, to share your knowledge. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, Eric. I'm unstoppable. <laughs> thank you. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys found value in today's conversation. I love these conversations. I'm so privileged to have these conversations. And it's just so much fun to hear these words and to hear these stories and to read between the lines and really try to understand what it is about these people that make them successful. And I think the, the lessons in today's conversation are pretty clear. You know, don't be afraid to ask. Get out there, learn, ask questions. The worst thing that's going to happen is that somebody's going to say no to you. They, they're, they're not going to be willing to give you the information or they don't have the time. They'll just say no. But think about the possibilities, the doors you can open if you just ask the questions and you you look for the knowledge. And I think the, the really big lesson today is when you go and you do ask the questions and you look for help and you get the help, uh, then do something with it. And when you do something with, with it, that's how you really impress people. That's how you win people over. That's how you develop trust with people. And I think that's something that has that just kind of came out of today's story. I mean, there was a bunch of really great nuggets today and too much to summarize in just a few minutes. But I think those were the ones that most resonated with me. And I hope that you guys picked up on that, too. Uh, OK, guys, so i got to remind you, like always, to please reach out to me, Eric, at RestaurantUnstoppable.com, Instagram, Twitter, Eric Cacciatore, Facebook slash Restaurant restaurant unstoppable tell me who you want to hear from tell me what your challenges are in 2019 it's going to be my goal to really uh, do some more deep dives to get some experts on the show to to really pull back the layers on specific topics so we can better equip ourselves to be successful in this industry. One more thing I need to start doing too is asking you guys to sign up for my email list. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com, scroll down to most of the pages and you'll find a field to sign up for the email list or there'll be a pop-up that will help you uh, capture that email or help me capture that email. And really what I'm, why I want to build this email list is so I can keep you guys up to date so I can let you know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and to make you be a part of it. Like I don't want Restaurant Unstoppable to be just my project. I want it to be the industry's project to to really challenge the status quo, to explore areas that need to be explored so we can take what we've known or take what we know to be true and compound it and take it to the next level. But I need you guys to give me clues. I need you to let me know where the challenges are and the pain points are so I can go out there and get the answer. So sign up for that email list and then like 
always, I have to also say, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. But the best way to support this podcast is by sharing it. That is the fee to listen to this podcast. Share it. If you learn something new or if you get inspired, let the rest of the industry know about it. So, all right. I think I did what I got to do. That's good for today. Until next time, peace out.